Yes, I need one. Okay. So background reading and handouts and there's email with links to various things as well. Um, So this is simply where I am currently at with an ongoing research project that seems increasingly to feed into various things that we are or have opportunities perhaps to do. Um, particularly after the last uh, uh, sort of departmental area meeting uh, in terms of uh, we were thinking about framing our offering within uh, an LA and so on and then of course um, the exciting possibilities at Biola um, seem very much to be resonating with this kind of thinking Um, I was talking with Bjorn about this uh, last evening Mm -hmm. And saying that some of my terminology uh, has certain sort of connotations or resonances that that might work in the English that don't work in the Norwegian. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we may need to sort of do some translation. Um, We we were talking about um, character formation uh, and and things earlier. That might be, you know, are there better terms than the terms that I'm using um, in in terms of the connotations and so on. So um, bear that in mind. Uh, as we go through, I'm not wedded to the specific terms in, in context. But um, anyway, I shall, um, I shall endeavour to, to power through this with some pretty pictures. <laughs> so that's uh, what yeah, I think. I think I finally got to the stage in this project where I, I think I know what question I'm answering now. <laughs> <laughs> After about five years of beavering away at it. Um, the Christian Spirituality, the Spiritual University, uh, subtitling it, A Christian Vision for Pluralistic Spiritual Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's the thing as well that, that separates it from what's going on at, Bio, at Biola, great that it is, but that's very much on the American model of the, the Christian University for Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was, I was saying we have the sort of, particularly in, in England, even if you're a Christian university, let's say part of the cathedrals group of universities and so on, what that means is it's about the extracurricular activities, it's the private sphere, mm. um, not the, the public square or the curricula being affected by that. Mm. And I'm kind of trying to steer a course between those two models uh, with a, a sort of third way, uh, if you like. It's very interesting to note, this is just a, a selection, I could put lots more up, of books from the, the 21st century last decade, um, published by secular writers, atheists, and various other um, secular writers, non-Christian writers, um, looking towards religion and and the concept of spirituality in a positive light. Um, Part of this is a backlash to the new atheist movement, sort of being overly critical of religion and other atheists saying, actually, I, you know, I think the religion is wrong, but there are some things in it that are good that I think we could appropriate it and learn from. Um, and this is happening at a popular level. Books like Alan de Botton's Religion for, for Atheists, Sam Harris's new book, New Atheist Author Sam Harris, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion, um, Waking Up. Mm-hmm. Um, but also within the whole field of, of uh, philosophy of education. So we'll have some quotes later from this book on cultivating the spirit, how college can enhance students' inner lives. 
or um, uh, uh, Roger Gottlieb published with Oxford, Spirituality, what it means and why it matters and so on, coming from a sort of um, vaguely sort of Buddhist uh, direction, New Agey kind of direction perhaps uh, with that. Um, and also, you know, André Comte Bonville, the French atheist writer, the, the book of atheist spirituality, and so on. So that there is a sort of whole niche within the, the, the thought sphere being carved out by the secular and the atheist and the, in the education world as well. Alan de Botton, in his um, book, um, just one quote from him, he says, whatever rhetoric may be rehearsed in its prospectuses, the modern university appears to have precious little interest in teaching its students any emotional or ethical life skills. And that links very much with the, the paper from the, the Atlantic. Uh, much less how to, how to love their neighbours and leave the world happier than they found it. Graduation speeches stereotypically identify liberal education with the acquisition of wisdom and self-knowledge, but these goals have little bearing on the day-to-day methods of departmental instruction and examination. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating to see an atheist um, um, popular um, philosopher in the UK saying that, and I think that opens a, a doorway um, Parker J. Palmer et al. on their book, The Heart of Higher Education. This is uh, giving students knowledge as power over the world whilst failing to help them gain the kind of self-knowledge that gives them power over themselves as a recipe for danger. Mm-hmm. And we're living today with the proof of that claim in every realm of life from economics to religion. We need to stop releasing our students into the world without systematically challenging them to take the inner as well as the outer journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a you know, well-respected um, voice within the, the whole debate about educational philosophy. Um, the Cultivating the Spirit book, this is um, published by um, University College Los Angeles, who did a big research project um, in 2011, a study of um, over 112,000 students at 236 colleges, and they surveyed them on this topic um, and they showed that 80% of students were interested in spirituality 76% thought that searching for purpose and meaning in life was an important part of their university experience um, that they discussed it with, with friends, 74% of them that the students endorsed the following life goals as being essential or very important to what they wanted out of the university experience Uh, attaining wisdom, becoming a more loving person, seeking beauty, attaining inner harmony, finding answers to the mysteries of life, developing a meaningful philosophy of life, that they were actually looking to their university experience to to do that sort of personal formation as well as, you know, teach me how to do a job, (laughs) let me earn earn money so I can get a mortgage, etc. They want more out of university. And they, uh, commenting on the results, they say students have high expectations for the role that colleges and universities play in their spiritual and emotional development. More than two-thirds say it's essential or very important that college enhances their self-understanding and rate highly the role they want colleges to play in developing their personal values. Nearly half also say it's essential or very important that colleges encourage their personal expression of spirituality. So Austin, who's um, the lead uh, researcher of that group, suggests that universities should consider providing more opportunities for students to explore and pursue these interests as part of their college experience, remove barriers to doing so, and help support greater balance in the development of the whole student, more sort of holistic approach. Um, 
Andrea Jowell at Higher Education, brand strategist. What a great title, brand <laughs> strategist for higher education. She says, with the majority of prospective students searching for meaning and purpose, institutions that can speak to this spiritual quest are sure to have an edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in terms of pure marketing kind of terms. Also, then, uh, one final quote from them. They say, the secular institution they suggest, (laughs) is the ideal place for students to explore their spiritual sides. Uh, Because, unlike many sectarian institutions, there is no official perspective or dogma when it comes to spiritual values or beliefs. Oh, oh, oh yeah, pull the other one. (laughs) It's like, um, students are presumably free, if not encouraged, to explore and question their values and beliefs. You know, but not the values or beliefs underlying the curricula or whatever, um, no matter where such questioning might lead them. I think, mm, okay. Um, secular does not mean non-sectarian or lacking in, in dogma. It, it often just hides an implicit or indeed explicit, uh, often in the West, naturalism. Mm-hmm. Um, whether scientific or postmodern informed, depending if you're in the literature department or the Science department, <laughs> and I, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> so I would suggest that they're, they're, they're tapping into something that's important, but they're suggesting the wrong solution to it. Um, there is the to go back to my classical education, the false dilemma of the Scylla and Charybdis <laughs> of the sectarian Christian university for Christians mm-hmm. and the secular university for all that's with or without a Christian foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in Christian terms, um, breaking down that um, sacred-secular barrier as it applies within the educational mm-hmm. world. Doherty says, uh, successfully steering between isolation and accommodation, this is from a Christian viewpoint within the university, mm-hmm. is one of the great challenges for authentic Christian higher education. Mm-hmm. In parenthesis, David Dockery, he is at Southern Baptist, somewhere his name? Uh, Union Seminary, I think it is. Right. He uh, was, he was the, he's the president, I think, of a seminary or, or a ah. university. Mm-hmm. And Greg mm-hmm. Thornbury, who is at Kings now, mm-hmm. worked mm-hmm. for him as boss mm-hmm. right. before coming to Kings. Yeah. End, uh. of, end of parenthesis. So, uh. so mm. both the... Sectarian and the secularist, yeah, are not truly pluralistic. Right, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Neither is interesting. Austin and I'll think that the secular is pluralistic because it's it's a neutral level playing field yeah. for everybody. Um, but I don't don't think it is. It you no. know, mm-hmm. it, it is a, it therefore ends up assuming mm-hmm. the dominant within culture worldviews, and it's mm-hmm. like. Okay, here's science. We define it in at least methodologically naturalistic terms, if not explicitly mm-hmm. metaphysically naturalistic terms. Or, and we now do our science or our sociology or our psychology on the basis that, of course, all there is to a person is a brain. Mm-hmm. You, know, <laughs> you can have your own private religious beliefs about what you do spiritually, but don't bring that into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, we do history, but you, don't, you can't mention miracles within history. That's just how it's defined. Uh, all of those, you know, those are you know, those are worldview assumptions um, uh, being you know, imposed 
implicitly, <laughs> at least. They, they need to be brought out of the open. Yeah, without being for saying. Yeah, and, and, and so yeah, it's it's a bringing it out and saying everything's up for discussion and investigation. Mm-hmm. That would be you know, truly pluralistic. So again, and, and this is another of those, I think they're almost right, but not quite, quotes. So I came across this in a, a, a peer-reviewed journal on um, education. J.M. Hull says, Christian of faith may approach education without trying to turn it into evangelism. Yeah, okay. Um, this would be a Christian faith willing to take up the basin and the towel to be a servant. Christian faith can generate and justify an understanding of the educational process which is not interested to create, deepen, or foster Christian faith and commitment. It's possible for Christian faith to extend beyond concerns for its own transmission and to become the partner of an education concerned with the growth into maturity of persons, whether or not they adopt Christian faith. And I've put the the top and the bottom of that quote in bold, because I'm thinking, yes, yes, but the middle um, droops for me somewhat. I would rather say... Okay, an educational process that's generated and justified by Christianity, and it does a good job of that, can respect the distinction between education and evangelism um, by being a servant-hearted partner, etc., concerned with the spiritual maturation of persons, whether they end up adopting Christian faith or not, um, whilst still being happy if this process facilitates and or deepens Christian faith. (laughs) Okay, we don't have to pretend that we... Are disappointed if a Christian, you know, if a non-Christian student comes to Gimelacon and, and graduates as a Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we don't have to go. Oh dear, terrible! They've been proselytized or something. Because we didn't say out to proselytize them, but we don't have to pretend we're not like happy, or that we don't want to help the Christian students here to integrate their faith and their learning and uh, and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's kind of two hands two hands off. For me, in the, in the middle there. So I, th- I think those perspectives... Ha- Sorry, Baron. The, the, there's an other element here in growth in the maturity of persons. Mm. You have to yes. define your terms, or, or the, the yeah. worldview issues come up even as we... Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll deal with yeah. that in, in a few slides' time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, that's helped me clarify my question... So I, I think this is the right question. It was the one that I, I arrived at. <laughs> I think I'm looking at how best to be a Christian university that explicitly celebrates Christian spirituality and encourages the integration of Christian faith and academic excellence. So it's avoiding accommodationism and secularism. Mm-hmm. Whilst facilitating the, the virtuous, the spiritual development of a pluralistic community with integrity for everyone involved, thus avoiding sectarian isolationism or indoctrinationism, mm-hmm. whether, you know, the sort of implicit sectarian indoctrinationism. Um, so being a Christian university, avoiding accommodation and secularism, uh, facilitating virtuous spiritual development of, pl- of a pluralistic constituency and avoiding sectarian and isolationism and indoctrination mm. so then as everyone says definitions start mattering <laughs> mm-hmm. so what is spirituality this is a contested issue um, mm-hmm. 
Philip Sheldrake's book, Spirituality, a very short introduction helpfully tells us it is difficult to offer a simple, neat description. <laughs> Everyone seems greed on this. <laughs> um, which opens the door to providing one, of, of, of course. Um, how do we define and develop spirituality? This is why I started within the UK context of the, the UK government at the secondary kind of level particularly, um, saying um, here in 2004, um, spiritual needs to be in- integrated across the whole curriculum in schools. Let's define it. Spiritual can be interpreted in different ways. What is meant by spiritual development has not always been clear. And definition has to be acceptable to people of faith, people of no faith, and people of different faith. So it's got to be pluralistic, mm-hmm. um, they're saying. And then they offer this definition. Spiritual development is the development of the non-material element of a human being which animates and sustains us. So we're suddenly being all pluralistic and inclusive except for any materialists who... (laughs) 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 Uh, Or platonic, sort of gnostic kind of folk who... (laughs) So as soon as they try and give a definition, they contradict their own intention Mm -hmm. in trying to be pluralistic whilst including spirituality within the curriculum. This Mm -hmm. is what sort of... The, the, the grit of sand that annoyed me at the beginning yeah. of this project. So, spirituality is about, and they make all sorts of suggestions, you know, what we, about what we do, it's our various spiritual practices, you know, obvious spiritual practices from prayer to yoga to recycling to whatever. Um, <laughs> it, well, it, yes, yeah, spirituality is about how, how we feel, our emotions and our, and our passions. Um, it is about relating to things, to the government guides here, yeah, relationships with other people and for, for believers with God. Yeah, in, inclusive, kind of. Um, so, yeah, okay, it's about practices, but what, you know, what about judging those morally as good or bad? It's about feelings, but what about mentioning objective value? Um, it's just sort of subjective there. The self, but not, not community being mentioned. Relationship, but not citizenship or social development God but what about the atheists and the agnostics and so on so the whole kind of field was a mess then I arrived at my tripartite definition of spirituality Um, a spirituality is I'm assuming I'm putting virtuous in brackets here because you can have non-virtuous spiritualities so you know Nazism is a non-virtuous form of spirituality Um, it's a way of relating to reality various dimensions via your worldview beliefs, your con- contaminant actions leading you to behave in various ways. Or, given my Baptist up- upbringing, three points beginning with the same letter, your, your head and your heart and your hands. Just to make that memorable. But, um, yeah, so... You're thinking, including your worldview, but how you think about things. Your heart, but not just subjectively speaking. Not just your feelings and emotions, but also your, your commitments, your choices, your willings. Um, hard in a broader sense. And your hands in the sense of, of your actions, and what, what you do. What you spend your time on, uh, and so on. Uh, and this is an entirely generic definition because uh, uh, it will apply to you know Richard Dawkins as much as the Buddhist as to the Muslim as to as to me, uh, because you know Richard Dawkins has a set of things that he believes are true or false. He has certain attitudes towards those things, which lead him to write books like The God Delusion and make TV series and you know does stuff because of what he believes and how he f- 
where his attitude's towards the law. But he does different stuff sometimes because he has some different beliefs and some different attitudes than the Muslim next door does, kind of, yeah. Um, so you can, you know, talk about this in terms of spirituality as faith and works, the way it's self-reinforcing, it becomes a sort of feedback loop in someone's life, uh, and so on. Certainly has biblical roots, this way of thinking about it. Um, so here's a good verse. In Deuteronomy 31, 12, um, assemble the people so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of his law. Teach the people the law. Um, Moses states he wants the people to learn to fear the Lord. Uh, the translated learn here in Lamath implies a, a subjective assimilation of the truth being learned, in integrating the truth into your life. Mm. Learning was to be demonstrated in two ways, by a change of attitude and by a change in action. Mm. So you've got a change in belief, you then assimilate that into your life by having the right attitude towards it, which leads to you to start doing or not doing as you should. Um, Jesus seems to have got there before me as well, answering the question to the greatest commandment. You know, well, he thought that true virtuous spirituality begins with loving God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Uh, once you have this in mind, you start seeing it cropping up all over the place. 1 Peter 3.15 Be prepared to give an answer do it with gentleness and respect. So it's about doing it and being prepared. Actions, it's about giving an answer, an apologia, a reason. Um, it's about your attitudes in doing it towards God and towards the people you're doing it with. So it's all in there. Um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Teach and admonish one another. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of, of the Lord Jesus and so on the crowd's reaction to the first sermon at Pentecost oh we've learned some new information about Jesus we have an attitudinal response to it, we're cut to the heart brothers what shall we do um, this was then developed within the medieval Christian tradition in terms of the, the terms uh, of um, Latin terms of, of orthodoxy orthopathy and orthopraxy Mm -hmm. um, from ortho meaning straight or correct so straight or correct beliefs, attitudes and, and actions so the medievals were there before us so it has a, a long tradition but you also find this pattern in the, in the, sec, uh, in the secular literature today, so back to, to Sheldrake talking about um, seems to me that all approaches to spirituality including contemporary secular ones imply what might be called beliefs about life the quest for an effective worldview. For most people, whether religious or not, spirituality involves values and a principled lifestyle, both of which are supported by specific spiritual practices. So it's got worldviews, value, practices um, there. Talking about character education, um, James Arthur talks about the effective cognitive and physical aspects of character education. Patterns of thinking that lead to acts, judgment, Attitudes, actions, mm -hmm. it's there. Um, which would then mean that spiritual development means uh, internalising a hopefully virtuous set of habits of the head, heart and hands that lead to spiritual integration. Mm -hmm. um, everyone, I think, 
of whatever worldview is, is after a, a, a more holistic sense of integration as a person rather than being pulled apart by having your actions at odds with your beliefs or your values and, and so on. So making progress towards the goal of self-consciously informing all of your relationships through internalising your worldview, beliefs, attitudes and behavioural practices. Um, and I think everyone aspires to that, and that's just the way people are built. Um, here's a lovely little diagram for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we're making some progress, I think, here in terms of the definition uh, bit. Um, spirituality, spiritual development, how do you then apply that within spiritual education? Uh, good spiritual education, I would suggest, connects um, virtuous spiritual development to understanding good rhetoric and the transcendental values in an educational community. Mm -hmm. um, so rhetoric, and this comes across, across in communication, you go into Aristotle's rhetoric and, and, and things in some of our courses already. Um, in the good sense, in the good Aristotelian sense, observing what really is persuasive about things and best communicating that to people, not advertising tricks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I love Stratford Caldicott's quote about um, it's not a set of techniques to impress or a means of manipulating you know, indoctrination or you know, sophistry. It's a way of liberating the freedom of others by showing them the truth in a form they can understand. Mm -hmm. um, and Aristotle famously talks about the three elements of persuasion, um, ethos, character, pathos, um, engaging the heart, moving people, and logos, the rational persuasion, giving an argument, and that ideally you want all three pulling together in the same direction, which of course maps directly onto the head, heart, hands definition of spirituality, and so you can map it directly back onto the, the verses that we were looking at. Um, Paul, uh, indeed, um, even directly quotes, I, I, I think, whether he's quoting Aristotle or not, he mentions the same values of communication in the same order <laughs> as the classical tradition, uh, giving advice on evangelism. He says, you know, be pleasant, hold their interest, and give answers when you're with unbelievers. Ethos, pathos, logos. Um, so what applies to good communication should, one thinks, applies to good education, helping people to discern what really is there in those categories. Um, in terms of, you know, logos, knowledge-gaining practices, the content, um, learning the, the skills by which one can learn things as well as just learning things, um, the emotional and effective appeal of the subject, the heart response of students to, oh, I really love geography, you know. Mm. It's so interesting, and, you know, it's actually about people's lives, and you get fired up, and it gets me, you know, I've got really interested in social justice because of it, and, you know, we've got to do something. Um, you know, it's great when you have, like, students who come to sort of the Damaris Global Sixth Form conferences on those kind of issues, and they get really fired up and doing stuff because of it. And the ethos, uh, the, both the spiritual integrity of the teacher and of the, the students uh, involved in, in modelling um, those aspects. Um, so in, in terms of, of spirituality, learning and, and, and rhetoric, 
you're, you're being taught both formally and informally through the, the culture, as Morgan's looking at with you know, the, the kids and prin- Disney princesses or, or whatever. Um, thinking of my uh, godchild and things at the moment. Uh, uh, they're very interfrozen. Um, they're being communicated too through the ethos, pathos, and logos of, of, of culture or of, of the university or whatever. But also, they're then expressing that learning and beginning to shape culture themselves as they output from themselves and as we graduate people who will begin outputting I went to the Easter concert last night at the local church so well done I, I, I came out it blew me away I said it was the it was the best done artistic event that I've ever seen a local church put on it was absolutely top notch um, so well mounted in, in all of its sort of sort of aspects and it was really great to see several um, Gimla Collin students and uh, alumni kind of involved playing guitar and singing and um, communicating and, you know, using the arts and great. Uh, so that's good. So uh, we ended up with my, uh, known to some of you, 3x3 three three grid of the spirituality, beliefs, attitudes, actions communicated through classical rhetoric, the logos, pathos and ethos, and then judged by... Um, the classical standards of truth, beauty, uh, and goodness. Um, and even this element of what I'm talking about is less controversial today than one might have thought 10, 15 years ago. Um, so British philosopher John Cottingham says the increasing consensus among philosophers today is of some kind of objectivism of truth and value. It says truth, beauty, and goodness carry with them the sense of requirement or demand, the true, that which worthy of belief, the beautiful, worthy of admiration, the good, worthy of choice. But this common sense of of worthy of um, about them, tying them together. So that sort of classical tradition is making something of a comeback, and including within the area of philosophy of education. So back to James Arthur, um, the whole um, moral uh, education, character education movement, particularly from America. Uh, There he says, many character educations do not accept that moral values are relative. Otherwise, why would you get particularly worried about forming the right moral character in your students <laughs> through education? Um, but again, of course, Paul would be online with this. Uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, is right, is pure, whatever is admirable, the true, the good, and the beautiful, we dwell upon these things. Uh, and I think also pulling in here, you're pulling the whole sort of virtue epistemology mm. movement and tying in the fact that thinking, well, again, that sort of public sacred-secular divide, but talking about morals and talking about education, as Paul M. Gold puts it, there's a two-way causal connection between moral character and intellectual virtue, because the transcendentals are united. A vicious moral character can undermine good thinking, lazy thinking can contribute to moral deficiencies. Um, But actually... When you're telling students, you, you know, moral character development is part of university education and part of what they're looking for in it, that that is not an entirely separate thing from, you know, how well they're doing in sociology or whatever, <laughs> uh, in their study practices, um, and so on. Uh, Colder got again, nice quote from him. Praise of beauty, service of goodness, and contemplation of truth are essential to the full expression of our humanity. And again, you know, from a biblical viewpoint, 
we're immediately thinking about, oh yeah, well that's because of the nature of God that's transferred through the image of God in creation in humans. From a non-Christian viewpoint, I think you just resonate with, yeah, that's, that's how I am. Um, this is what people are looking for, and the research kind of says that, and some of these books um, by atheists and so on uh, saying that. So I add another column here, <laughs> where all of this is, is <laughs> grounded in and leads to tra- traditional virtues, such as, as Caldecott says, service, praise, contemplation, faith, hope, and love, wisdom, wonder, and worship or giving worth to things that they're due. Um, you know, you know, not be worshipping God, but you, you give, you know, proper worth to Shakespeare as actually more, more aesthetically valuable than the back of a Rice Krispies packet. Mm-hmm. Unlike the English department when I was at Cardiff told me, you know, because texts mean whatever they mean to you. There is no inherent meaning in anything. <laughs> Um, if you just want to enjoy literature, why are you bothering to study English literature? Um, <laughs> let, uh, you, you, in order to really understand why texts don't have any inherent meaning that you can misunderstand, please go and buy my textbook, where, where you will understand what I mean by reading my words. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> and hence I ended up jumping ship to a philosophy degree. Um, but, you know... <laughs> So uh, I think that puts it in a, in a nice sort of rounded uh, context there. So, uh, so contra Austin et al.'s idea that the secular institution has no you know, official perspective or dogmas or anything, it's all uh, a footloose, fantasy-free world. Um, there's, I reckon there's a corporate sense of spirituality that's inherent within being a university as such. Um, from whatever worldview, position, or religious position you're coming to a university, there is a sort of essential minima of, sp- of spiritual beliefs and attitudes and values that are involved in being a member of a university community. Mm-hmm. Um, and a spiritual community is the social embodiment of a common spirituality. So it's constituted by shared beliefs and attitudes and actions. And to be a university college community to be a class, whatever, mm-hmm. there is a shared, there is a spirituality involved in, in, in being that, in doing that. Um, an educational community needs certain shared beliefs, such as the knowability and the communica- communicability of truth. Um, <laughs> um, ethical standards that facilitate cooperative truth-seeking. You know, you shouldn't cheat on your exam. <laughs> um, Attitudes about, yes, I'm committed to truth-seeking. I think it's important um, that when I'm doing journalism, I accurately, you know, I don't quote people out of context or whatever it is. Um, I, I reckon I should probably read some of the textbooks and go to the occasional lecture. This is something I should do if I'm going to be part of the university community. You, know? <laughs> um, you can't get away from, from that. So you can, as an institution demand that people, okay, they're coming with their own pluralistic set of spiritual spiritualities, but they're saying, I want to be part of this community, a university community. It happens to have a Christian foundation, and I don't want to be a Christian, what we say, but I do want to be part of that university. So in answer to the question, like this, Here's the key. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Christian Christian spirituality can support and incorporate the virtuous spirituality necessary to an educational community. So it generates a support, incorporates that as a subset of itself. Great. Whilst overlapping with the plurality of spiritualities adopted by the members of that community. So... If you're going to be a, a me- part of a university community, you've got to think, yeah, okay, I'm going to go to lectures, I'm not going to cheat, and I'm, I'm, truth is important. Um, <laughs> uh, language communicates stuff, otherwise I'm not going to bother speaking to anyone. <laughs> but as long as I can sign up to all that, because if I can't, why am I being part of a university? But as long as I can sign up to all that, um, even if I, if I do, it, do it in such a way that's actually inconsistent with the rest of my spirituality that I actually have, as long as I think I can sign up to all that, I can come as a Muslim, as a Buddhist, as a secular humanist, as a, as a whatever, and, and go, oh, it's great that this university with a Christian foundation is going to help me to think through my spirituality, to help me to think through that in relation to the curriculum, as well as you know, not just divorcing it to, to the periphery of the university. Um, so three suggested practical steps, just as a, a beginning on getting some sort of, how do I then apply this, perhaps? Um, I would suggest articulating uh, that communal spirituality of learning. Um, that's a, a subset of the, the spiritualities of members of the community, um, in a way that, that shows it's explicitly consistent with the Christian spirituality that's our foundation. You know, saying, we're Christians and that's, what, and that's why we're doing this. That's the kind of institution we are. We're committed to, to truth and goodness and beauty and all that. Um, but that welcomes and encourages students with non-Christian spiritualities to participate in, in the, the critical exploration and integration of spirituality and learning. Um, that at a minimum, is going to mean equipping community members with an understanding of these, whether we use the language or not, but these concepts that I briefly looked at of spirituality, spiritual development, community, truth, goodness, beauty, um, ethos, pathos, logos, etc. Um, and giving um, critical thinking skills and opportunities to cooperatively with people they disagree with consider their spirituality and their spiritual development, however we do that, um, and to, to shepherd community members in the quest to wisely integrate their subject-specific learning with their exploration of their spirituality and vice versa. Um, so articulating that kind of vision, saying, if, you know, we can all be on board with this, this together, um, equipping them with the, with the tools, however one might do that through an introductory course or whatever, I don't know, and then sort of building that, shepherding that process within both the sort of, you know, the traditional pastoral side, but also within the curricular side, because you're doing it in such a way that, it, you know, it's, it's neither indoctrination or proselytisation, um, explicit or implicit with the kind of secular route, but it is open, open and welcoming. The only limits upon that being the limits that are necessary to being, to being in a university anyway. Really, one would argue. And of course, okay, there will be you know some nihilists and postmodernists 
who will who will argue against that. Um, but a, their arguments are self-refuting, <laughs> and b, there are plenty, uh, as I've shown, and in, in, in increasingly opening up within the field, secular voices of, of atheists and others, very much thinking along the same kind of lines. Uh, in terms of the structure of spirituality, its importance within student development, um, values, um, etc. Um, so I think they, they open up and legitimise a Christian institution saying, hey, we're, we're only doing what Anne de Boton called for. <laughs> so, yeah.